Thanks for checking in and listening to Just Because Art. I'm your host, Everett, a professional historian and working artist and creative person who's exploring my favorite thing in the world, art and creativity. This podcast is about an everyday creative person exploring art and creativity from their studio. And yep, you guessed it, I can't go outside right now. None of us can. So I'm bringing interesting friends and people to me, and by extension, hopefully to you. I think we can all use something uplifting like art and creativity right now. It's what gets me through the day, every day of my life. So without further ado, break out your box of crayons and coloring book, or your watercolors, and let's get this show on the road. Today my guest is musician, composer, and entrepreneur, Kiran Foley. Kiran and I are old friends and uh, have been making art for a long time. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thanks. So, like, uh, how are you holding up? How's how's the uh, the uh, things are good? Sequestration. Yeah. Well, no, no, no big change, as you know. A lot of what <laughs> I do uh, is virtual, um, and so this has been less of a, an adjustment for me than. Say, for instance, somebody that works from remote offices and has to go drive into work every day. So, uh, you know, I won't say it's been entertaining, but uh, keeping keeping up with things and things just keep rolling. So I'm good. <laughs> those, that's those uh, introverted extroverts who that's actually right. have that side of them that we've been preparing for this our whole lives. Well, and we're, and we're digital <laughs> and nomads, too, so we can <laughs> exist anywhere. So it's all that's good. That's right. Yep. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, you know, hey, um, tell me a little bit, you know, well, tell, tell, tell all of us a little bit about um, kind of your experience in music. I mean, I, I think um, music's been a huge part of not only your life, but your whole family's life. Um, yeah. No, and I been... know that your sister is... Uh, a, a well-regarded uh, violinist, yep, and, and teacher, yep. and, teacher. and um, you are a clarinet and woodwinds man, uh, as well as a keyboardist and uh, composer. And uh, it's, I mean, tell us a little bit about how that's played a part of your life. I, I'm just very interested. Yeah, it's interesting in, in a variety of different ways. I mean, um, the first experience I had, as you mentioned, was uh, learning how to play the clarinet, which I did. Um, not really out of self-motivation. <laughs> my my mom has always had uh, opera music blazing in the background all throughout our lives. So it was classical music in the house. And so, you know, kind of a funny story. When I was growing up, um, I used to listen to classical music as I was going to sleep. And when I finally got introduced to rock, um, I couldn't understand any of the lyrics. It was almost like a foreign language. Uh, so I could hear the music, but not the, <laughs> not understand the lyrics at all. So that's how dysfunctional and one-sided I was in terms of classical. But, you know, it did, it did leave me with uh, an endearing love for music in general and, and also structure in a way, uh, because classical music is, can be fairly sophisticated. Uh, and so as you're listening to it, you're hearing things that you might not hear in a traditional pop song. So coming from classical and then into pop and then, film music and everything else has, has provided a great grounding for music. But yeah, it was decided uh, in a way uh, because my, especially my mother's love of music, I mean, my father as well, um, thou, thou shall learn an instrument. So that ended up being, being the clarinet, which to me looked like the most 
complicated instrument you could possibly imagine with all the key fingerings and everything else. But, but I did, and, and it ended up being fun. It was a good discipline. It was not something I enjoyed in the first, you know, year, <laughs> but I, uh, I believe, I believe when we first met, uh, you were a clarinet player and I was playing the trombone. Of that's all correct. Things. Yes, indeed. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And, and so, you know, ended up doing private lessons and then, uh, doing it, uh, not semi-professionally, but, but, uh, doing entering statewide competitions, things of that nature. And when I came to high school, uh, where we met, um, that ended up also blossoming into sort of a leadership opportunity as well, which was interesting. Absolutely. And it's that that's actually one of the things that's that, you know, it's off off touted to um, parents and families of, of creative or uh, what has been deemed traditionally creative kids is how much uh, creativity aids or creative arts aid in the pursuit of leadership and the way that we think about leadership. Uh, that's a funny thing that you should kind of happen upon because that's been a big part of your life later as an adult. Yeah, there's a is, lot of a lot of different. It's really ways. An inter- it's an interesting kind of you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd say there are two major outcroppings from music, and um, one of them is uh, visualization. And it's going to mm-hmm. sound strange to say this, but learning an instrument, then playing as part of an orchestra, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. then le- then leading you know a band. I was a band geek in high school. Um, there is a form of communication that occurs between the musicians, which is almost, you know, I don't want to say it'd be spooky or anything, but it's almost, it's, it's almost like, a, um, a psychic ability. You, you look at micro movements in the performers around you and you can ascertain whether somebody's uncomfortable with what they're playing, whether they're about to make a mistake, whether they're energetic about what's going on. And, and, and in a way, the role of a conductor is to be the dancer in front of an orchestra and emote physically in a way that connects through eye contact and through their phys- through their physical movements with this sort of undercurrent of communication that is nonverbal with an orchestra. And what I found fascinating about music in, in two different ways, going back to the uh, visualization part, was music occurs in space and time. So there's a rhythm, there's a pitch, you have all the you know musicianship that goes into emoting with emotion, um, but you also have all the technical capability, which becomes invisible to you as you become a better player. But all of those things I always saw in dimensions. So I saw time as stretching out before me as I was playing. I could see the pitches along the line of time. Uh, for some reason, I equate making music both solo and in an orchestra with what you would see in three dimensions in sort of a computer simulation. I can see it all visually. A lot of visual artists, which uh, at this point um, is where I find myself, music plays a huge part in uh, motivating us to do what we do and to help lay out, like you said, space and time, inserting our conversation, our emotions, our, our, our thoughts into what we're working on visually. That is an interesting position for, I think, any creative person, which is the ability to sort of read the the cosmic space around them i mean and to see others around them because of being like one of the things we've talked about in the past is having almost this meditative practice that that the act of doing this is it's very uh present bringing it it, you have to be wholly involved 
in, in what you're doing. And that's often discounted that we, that we aren't fully present. We're not fully listening. We're not fully seeing. But when you're in, in a performance situation, in, in musicianship, when you're in a performance situation, or even when you're a visual artist, I think um, that idea of being wholly present, listening, seeing, pay, paying attention to micro movements, that's really interesting. And I, I don't think a lot of people extrapolate that in their everyday life. It's, it's not something that's just for artists. I think this is a very interesting idea for anyone. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So absolutely, when you're practicing alone on an instrument that's difficult, or you're trying to attain a certain level of proficiency at whatever skill, um, you know, when you're doing that, when you're applying uh, your, that, that type of discipline, um, it, it becomes about being in the moment. It becomes about focus and concentration and being aware. Um, likewise, whether you're playing alone or with a group, there's a groove that happens, right? So whether it's a classical orchestra or it's a rock band, um, there's a general feeling within that group. It can be positive, it can be negative. It can be things are gelling right now or they're not. There is a group meditation going on. There's a, there's a focus mm -hmm. on we're yep. all together, right? We're, we're in the flow and creative creativity in general across a you know, wide variety of different uh, uh, disciplines, uh, you hear that word flow a lot. And I think that's something that also describes uh, traditional meditation, this idea of being present mm -hmm. in the moment. So that's hugely important. Um, the, the other piece to it, which is still confounding, is how it connects with our emotions. Um, how for some people, you know, a piece of music might make you cry instantly. Uh, others may connect memories or a specific uh, circumstance uh, to music. And for others, there's a technical delight as well. So there are different types of music. There's very emotional music and there's very technical music. Um, but all of this seems to jive with something in us internally, something that is intrinsic. Don't know what that is, uh, but it, but it's certainly something that has motivated me throughout my life, both as a listener and a performer. And I've been lucky enough to be able to perform it and yet also be able to enjoy it, which is tough because when you see the sausage being made, sometimes, you know, that could result in you sure. being jaded. I, I think it's very interesting, though, this notion of uh, it seems to me that you're suggesting the notion of empathy. Art is a wonderful place if nothing else, to be in constant practice of empathy. And again, it, I, it circles back in my mind to conversations we've had on leadership. You talk about music bringing you into roles of leadership when you were in school. And, um, you know, these practices, meditation, empathy, paying attention to micro signs on a team, uh, reading the stability of the team, that kind of thing. To me, that's really interesting because in the work that you're doing now, not only as a creative and a musician, but as an entrepreneur, these things feel to me when we talk about it, like they cross over with you. Is that true? Yeah. And I think that's one of the big lessons, you know, and, and again, I don't purport to be an expert in any of these things. I'm just a student. Um, there are no experts yeah, here. No, I, I no, try, to, <laughs> try to apply them. The way, no, the I, nobody's claiming anything. <laughs> But the way the way I look at them is uh, everything is related to everything else. And so um, there is no such thing as a business person versus an artist versus a scientist uh, versus fill in the blank. Um, we're all human beings who have an experience and each one of us have uh, attenuated um, certain experiences through circumstance or through uh, self-motivated motivation. <clears throat> and, and so we'll have a balance of those different elements. What I think is happening today is 
you know, I'm not sure whether it's pure empathy uh, or it's it's really projection. So that that's an interesting question. So here's the thing: if I listen to a piece of music and I have a certain emotional response to that piece of music, that's going to be based upon my experience. Now, you may also feel a certain way towards that music, but the baggage that you bring to the table may be completely different. So I suspect that in many cases, you know, it's often said that uh, in communication, uh, you really can't get into the mind of the person you're speaking with. Even in this conversation, you and I can't read each other's minds. So what we do as human beings is we sort of fill in the blank with our own story. So I think we're constantly imagining. That's right. But, but I think to the degree to which we can appear to have a common experience around a piece of music or appear to have somewhat the same range of emotion, it brings us closer together. So, mm-hmm. you know, you listen to um, a piece by Albanoni, uh, which, is, mm-hmm. which is famous, brings everybody to tears. There's a reason why that piece of music is used in movies during funeral uh, experiences or deaths <laughs> or other dark right, tragedies, right? right? Um, so, so I think there is a commonality there. It, it, it might be stepping a little bit too far to say that you're empathizing with the person other than maybe you're projecting your own experience on it. But, but there is something that, that feels common for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and what, what role do you think that, that the idea of commonality and understanding commonality or imagining commonality plays in your, your work right now? I mean, I think that's, I mean, you're, you're very good at, um, I think as having been friends for so long, um, it's really interesting to see you both as a creative, which we've shared our whole lives, but also to watch you as a business person and an entrepreneur and how that, that communication, those teams, how does that inform you at this point? Where, where are you going with that? So, so again, one and the same in the sense that Think, think for a moment, uh, and I'm not talking about large companies that are bureaucratic and they're big machinery that's simply operating right now, right? Right, but, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of specific, like, would you be interested in talking about specific models or ideas that you have? Yeah, yeah. No, but but l- let's take it down to the sort of fundamental level of starting a company, for instance, right? Which Perfect. is something that, you know, Great. I've been involved, I've been lucky to be involved with, you know, numerous times. Um, think of the word company for a moment. You're in the company of people. It's all about people. It's all, a, yeah, go ahead. I always think of it theatrically, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it, it's a bunch of people coming together uh, with right. somewhat of a common cause, with, with a purpose. And um, companies are no different just because they're a business. Um, there's often a delineation made, again, between artists and business people and scientists and others. And I, I don't see that. Um, there are different motivations that different people might have. There are there are different endpoints that they might want to see. Um, but but by and large, when you look at a collection of people, um, all of the same elements are involved. So when you start a company and you're building a business, uh, you have to motivate people. They have to motivate themselves. <laughs> they motivate you. Um, you all believe in something. You all can see something. Uh, there's a reason for you to be together. There's a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the execution of that purpose, you also happen to form some very deep relationships as well, if you're lucky. Um, so you can have some very creative uh, relationships with people within those circumstances, um, you know, fighting the dragon, uh, solving problems, uh, getting through really tough times, exactly the same way that you would say, for instance, as part of an artist colony or a part of an orchestra or whatever. There, there is no difference there. Um, 
So, so for me, uh, the act of creating a business or being part of a team that creates a business and tries to get it off the ground uh, and then tries to grow it uh, has been very satisfying from a creative perspective um, because it applies a lot of different disciplines, a lot of different interests that I have, uh, ranging from uh, marketing and creative uh, creation of videos, audio, writing, um, all the way to psychology and understanding how people operate uh, and how people come together to actually do this stuff. So it's really just a collection of people creating things, you know, at the end of the day. Um, I think we get confused later on once companies are up and running and we get confused by verbiage around business in air quotes, um, you know, shareholders' interests, uh, stocks, um, the valuation of a company, the money that specific founders might or might not make, salaries, things like that. Those are just components. Um, but at the core of it, um, the very successful companies, they are no more than a group of people who really do believe in what they're doing. And they're working together with a common vision to overcome obstacles and achieve something. That's it. Right. I, I think of things, I mean, one of the the companies that, that seems to have a lot of that type of characteristic that you can easily talk about is something like Patagonia, I think, who have done a really nice job of that. Um, very creative folks working together, uh, kind of common causes, uh, very... Uh, not that this is an ad for Patagonia, but I, I mean, I, I really like the idea that they've spent their entire corporate uh, cachet on being a great company. And the, uh, the result of that have, has been a lot of success in those other areas, but that was those other areas, stock prices and, and monetary, you know, flow into the company and that kind of are resulting things from what they're doing those were not the motivations for what they were doing yeah i thought that was yeah yeah, it's a side effect yeah and i i I really love that idea there's an artist named rafi i just read his book uh being a rogue artist he talks about some of this in in the the middle of the book about what are you know what are your motivations why are you doing what you're doing and if the motivations are fame and money and your brand and your stock price and if that's your motivation it's going to fall short <laughs> you're you're probably going to have trouble there you're you're filling a hole that probably won't fill uh that you that there's this wonderful idea about actually working on something to work on it purely for the joy of working on it and and doing it because it's satisfying in and of itself to be an artist working on that. Um, What do you have to say about something like that? Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not one to judge. I I know that what, what motivates me may be very different than what motivates other people. And you see this. Of course, of course, we're all different. Right. So, so for me, the, the, the essence of being authentic. And and to be clear, he's only suggesting this in his own life. He's not prescribing (laughs) this for someone else. I I would never, (laughs) but, but, you know, we see examples of the entire range of human experience. Um, we see it uh, in, in today's uh, political environment where you have certain individuals who are uh, motivated by a primacy of self and by a primacy of um, doing anything to preserve um, uh, a, a self that is one-dimensional, in, in mm. my estimation, and focused on one thing, which is, you know, the adoration of the dollar and that's it. And then, and then that extends all the way over to people who are not making any, any money at all and who are completely authentic with themselves, but 
um, living poorly <laughs> because of some of the choices they make. They, sure. you, you know, you respect them on one level, and then they're but they're barely surviving. So <clears throat> there's a whole range of this, which is, um, you know, I think it's come out in well, today. and that that can and not to put too fine a point on it, but that can also fall into the trap of you know believing the suffering artist and the and the, the yes. starving artist thing, which is garbage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be that way. That's a that's a, a, a that's a a state of mind, just like anything else. Well, and this, and this gets back to that idea of empathy that we were talking about earlier. Everybody has their own story that they're That's building right. in their own yes. mind constantly, right? We're telling stories about ourselves to, to ourselves and we're telling stories about other people to ourselves and to other people. And you may or may not be right about that story. Uh, so it's something always right. to kind of keep in mind, but <clears throat> getting back to the idea of, you know, business as a creative endeavor and, um, how that fulfills oneself. I, I think that I find satisfaction from the, the act of creating. So, mm-hmm. so what I've found in my own life is I enjoy creating. I don't, I don't need to create for anybody else. Um, I, I like composing music for that reason as a hobby. And then I made a very sort of calculated decision early on to get into technology. Um, it had always fascinated me as a tool uh, to do whatever. Um, but music, I kept as sort of a gift for myself and I didn't want to do that commercially because mm-hmm. I didn't want to lose the authenticity of just pure experimentation. So I decided, okay, I'm not going to make a living at music. Um, you know, I'm going to f- just keep that to myself greedily, you know, as a hobby. So, um, uh, well, I, can, can I ask, uh, here, maybe this might be a little bit of a, a tangent, but we're, we're good at disruptive tangents <laughs> when we talk anyway, Yeah. but I mean, I think it's a great place to ask, like, um, so growing up, like you grew up and being interested in film and composition, by the way, um, uh, you're, you're composing right now. You're, uh, for a film that's going to be coming out the next year, uh, as well, which is great. I'm looking forward to hearing what you do with that. I, I've heard it, bits and pieces folks, and it's amazing already. Um, but, um, what are your influences now? Who, I mean, you've had, I mean, I, since I've known you, music's been a huge part of your life. Um, and, uh, you know, everything from opera, like you were saying with your mom, I mean, you and I are, you know, we've, we've listened to our fair amount of Puccini uh, and, and Mozart and things like that. But who, who are your influences now? I mean, are, are we still uh, fans of Nine Inch Nails or where are we going with this? You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I've, I've, I've always had an eclectic taste. So uh, everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, I was no, like, and people, it, and people don't understand yet. I mean, how wide ranging your tastes yeah. are. It's amazing. <laughs> people get mixed tapes from me and they, they're like rolling their eyes going, okay, I like that one. But the next one was just threw me completely. It's off. like schizophrenic. Yeah. Back in the days when mixed tapes were a thing. No, um, I, you know, I've, I'd uh, like those to... were done on real, uh, <laughs> uh, real cassettes, by the way. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're, 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 we're definitely <laughs> dating ourselves now. The, um, no, everything is, if it makes noise, it's inspiring to me. So what I learned from, uh, Trent Reznor and nine inch nails and a lot of modern music, um, it was, uh, noise in and that's in and of itself can be emotive. <clears throat> there's, there's an interesting quality to, uh, sound itself. Uh, and certainly, when you deal with synthesizers, synthesized sound, computer-generated sound, um, such as some of the stuff that I did early on uh, just for fun, um, I realized that, you know, it doesn't have to be a clarinet emoting um, and, and providing that sort of emotional foundation. It can be a very unpleasant sound or a very pleasant sound that is completely artificially generated. So 
for me, music takes uh, everything is the answer. Uh, there are current artists that I'm listening to right now. Uh, yes, that extends all the way into, you know, the, the rap artists of the day uh, right now that are singing about subjects that I'm sure are curling parents toes everywhere. But they always <laughs> have, right? They always have. So if you listen to beyond that, to the emotion uh, and to the sound and to the expression, it's all, all valid. Um, again, it just depends upon your experience. I've just been very, very fortunate to recognize in myself a particular habit, and that is the following. There were a number of artists that I've listened to in the past, which I won't name uh, for fear of, you know, uh, biasing anybody listening to me. But, it, you know, the first three plays of a song, I couldn't wrap my head around it. I was like, this is the ugliest crap I've ever heard in my life. I, I just can't stand it. But by the sixth playing and the next week, by the 20th playing, suddenly I found what it was inside of that thing. And it became something else. And there is a process that I think when we're younger is easier for us. It's more malleable. That is to take something unfamiliar and to familiarize yourself with it, to, to incorporate it into the flows inside your own brain, to suddenly that thing is taking on wings and you're like, wow, that's actually really pleasant. Even though it's using these really unpleasant sounds, at first I thought it was noise. Now I find it beautiful. Now it's one of the most favorite, you know, my, my, one of my most favorite tracks. As an, <laughs> as an adult, there are many, I think, uh, that kind of turn off to that. Mm. Um, they, they, they hear it the first time, they recoil and they say, oh no, that's, that's not my generation's music or this is not my sound or this is not my way of doing things. And they stop there. Mm. What, I would, what I would, you know, challenge everyone to do is whether that's with a piece of music, whether that's with a way of working, whether that's with an unfamiliar subject, challenge yourself to get past the discomfort through familiarizing yourself with it, through learning. Listen to it 20 times. Listen to it 40 times. See whether it still remains ugly to you or see whether your brain starts understanding it better. I think with many things, we don't give things a chance. We, especially as adults, right? Once we become the, um, the, the, the non-little prince who sees the hat inside the boa constrictor, you know, right. we, exactly. we don't yes, let ourselves exactly. become familiar with things. And I, and I think, by the way, getting to where we are now in history, there's a lot that's unfamiliar that's happening with people, right? Suddenly, right. The, the carpet upon which they built their lives, going to a job, meeting with people in, in you know, physically and social situations, um, having the comfort of have some predictability, suddenly that rug was pulled within a very short period of time and we're, we're experiencing this sort of quarantine state. And that is a challenge to everyone within that state to spend more time with the things that scare you, spend more time with the things that feel unpleasant, spend more time with the things that are, seem impossible to learn. Just give it a little bit of more time and endure, the, endure that pain. And I think what happens out of that experience is you start learning something about yourself and you start learning something about that thing, whatever it is, whether it's music or it's uh, hell Zoom conferences, which nobody had used. You know, maybe you have a certain type of worker had never used online conferences. Now they know it. You know, all the way to picking up a new skill. Yeah, I mean, and this is something that's often talked about by curators and artists and uh, of all ilk. Uh, is how much time do you give something when you look at it? How much time do you give something when you listen to it? Um, sometimes you have to leave the room and come back 
Um, sometimes, like you said, you have to leave the room and come back 20 times. Um, and, um, sometimes you have to leave the room for two years. <laughs> God knows when people I mean, speak to me, they often you know, leave the room for 20 years and then they come back later <laughs> and say, you know what? I was right the first time. <laughs> but, but it's, I mean, that is kind of what's interesting is, is, is I think that challenge of a different point of view. And I think that's, that's exactly uh, the beautiful thing about going into and, and exploring creativity and and the creative urge in in people. Well, um, I, have a th- I have a theory about that too. It's more than point of view. It's it's also your brain takes time to uh, get into the groove. And so yes, I'll, yeah, I'll, absolutely. You know, I'll throw an idea out there. Yeah. Like you, let's say you listen to a piece of music and it just doesn't it it does not connect with you. Okay, so you're listening to it. It may take time for your neurons for your brain, for your emotions, to start picking up on little things that it does like in there. Once it does that, our pattern recognizer, this incredible brain between our ears, it's a huge pattern recognizer. And so all that's happening there is you're feeling friction between the patterns that you're familiar with and the patterns that are coming in that are totally new. Guess what happens after you listen to that pattern 20, 30 times? You start picking out what you like about it and how it associates with the other patterns. That's and right. that's how we begin to like things. And it just takes that experience, I think. And even if not like that, we come to an understanding with it. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that, now that's an interesting exercise, actually. It might be something maybe uh, folks in comments and things can do this, you know, pick out a piece of music uh, that's uncomfortable to you, something that you would not necessarily uh, find enjoyable. I'm going to, I'll do a little research and I've got a, I've got several pieces like uh Threnity for the victims of Hiroshima, things like that, or that are obvious choices uh, that I think are very challenging. Um, and um, you know uh, that whole question about reapproaching it multiple times until it affects you negatively or positively until you come to an understanding with the piece that's interesting but i'm sure it's more than one piece is is the you know just approaching something though that you can you you would challenge you and to listen to it and then we'd love to hear comments about it yeah i'd love i'd love as an idea um maybe keep a little diary each time you listen to the thing and write down write write down write down what you feel and number two what images come into your head and see how that changes over time. Perhaps, maybe it doesn't, who knows? Uh, But but I think, think, you know, and this leads us, and I I don't mean to keep bringing this back to sort of political situations, but I think it's just a human experience. I I think this has direct correlation with what's happening, especially in the United States and and elsewhere around the world, where, you know, we've we've heard um, talk about people galvanizing and sort of polar opposite perspectives and opinions. Mm -hmm we feel binary thinking. Yeah. It's often, it's often expressed that we are, you know, more divided than ever and these sort of mm-hmm. dramatic language mm-hmm. and what have you. I, I think most of us recognize that we're made of the same stuff and we actually have more, more in common than not. The challenge yeah. here is what I perceive is that when we're in discourse with someone else, when we're talking to them about our perspective, think of that as a piece of music for a moment, right? And, and let's hear that musician play their instrument. Now, that instrument may be saying things you don't want to hear at all, but try to understand it by listening to it a few more times and asking questions of it, not blurting back a retort, but having a conversation with it. And, and I think this is a way that you don't necessarily agree with the other person. I don't necessarily like every piece of music, 
but I come to an understanding of it. And I think that's what's what we're missing here is we are almost acting as if, uh, you know, we're going through a, a catalog of music and we're listening to songs for the first time. And within 30 seconds of listening to that song, we're turning it off. And you yeah. will, you know, you'll never come to an understanding that way. It does take time and it does take, as you mentioned earlier, sort of an, a level of empathy, but it also takes some pattern matching uh, because you may find some patterns that are actually work together where you're like, you know what, we do share this pattern, but not that one. Okay. Now I understand a little bit more. Um, and it's not with a view towards changing, right? I'm not going to change the piece of music that I'm listening to. I'm not going to change its mind. I'm not going to change the way that it is, but I can at least uh, better myself by incorporating some of that and understanding a little bit better. And that, by the way, you know, Ev, to your point about leadership, that is part of what leadership is. You're going to work with all sorts of different people, right, in situations when you come together as a company. In fact, it's better to work with people who don't agree with you and who have completely differing opinions. How do you do that if you're just arguing at each other and turning each other off in the first two seconds? You don't. So that's absolutely. how things get done. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I think it's a very interesting point to bring up uh, uh, issues of, uh, again, communication that um, there's room to, even in communication between us as people, sometimes you walk out of the room and think about it for a minute and then come back and re-examine what's going on. Um, and uh, it's amazing how many times, I don't know, personally in my life that, I mean, I have a lot of friends that I don't agree with necessarily on, on certain aspects of life and politics and things in the United States. But um, uh, I, I find it interesting to walk away from a conversation for a minute to come back and maybe reapproach it from a different angle and, and talk about it, not with an idea of changing someone's mind, but with trying to understand and trying yeah. to listen. And like you were saying with the meshing, the overlaps, I think we often see that the overlaps, the concerns, things like that tend to be more in common, have more commonality than they have difference. It's just the approach to dealing with that problem or issue uh, uh, tends to come from different life experiences and different, um, ways of thinking about the world. That's not wrong or right. It just is inherent in every person that you meet, uh, including ourselves, um, with our own biases and, and problems and our own imagination and our own tapes that we play in our heads that may be wrong or right at any given time. That's right. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's, it's amazing how much that is art is a reflection of all of that. Yeah. And that, and that level of, uh, you know, I'll call it personalization, but one of the, um, metaphors I use or visualizations I use when we're talking about companies, especially with young founders is we'll say, picture the company that you're building or the product that you're building as a tree in the center of the room, right? You're, you're planting a seedling, you're going to grow in water and feed this tree, but you're going to do it as a team. And each of you brings something to the table to do that. This tree is not a reflection of any one of you in Toto. It is not you. And you'll, you'll find this thing, founderitis, uh, this idea that an early stage entrepreneur perhaps gets so attached to their business or their idea that they develop an ego, an arrogance, a personalization around it. They get so attached to it that they can't see its faults. Um, and that in every mode of thinking in life is the wrong thing to do. You don't attach yourself to central ideas. You can still believe what you believe. You can still hold true to your values, 
to your integrity, to those things that you hold dear in terms of opinions. However, you know, when you're dealing, say, for instance, in a group situation, whether you're creating a piece of music or you're building a company or you're having an argument with someone in a cafe, <laughs> it helps to depersonalize the thing that you're talking about. And both of you attack that thing separately from yourself. That is a, that's a hugely powerful tool to have because it allows you to have unconstrained conversations and even fights and debates over an idea instead of each other. And then you can take from that center thing that you're arguing about, you can take back the pieces that are yours. The other person can take piece, pieces that, that are theirs. But you've now sat at a table with someone that had, you know, 30 minutes of ideas instead of cutting off the whole thing because you feel emotionally hurt. Um, it's an incredible skill to be able to divorce yourself from things and to look at them as independent of yourself. Um, and those, in, those can include, obviously, political ideas, musical ideas, directions for companies, whether to fire or hire someone, all these different, they're all related. Um, if you personalize everything, you're going nowhere. You're absolutely going nowhere because you will end the conversation before it begins. I love it. Well, we're going to, we're kind of hitting our mark here. Do you have anything that uh, you want to, uh, to schlep openly? I mean, can I, I'm, hopefully I'm going to get you on lots of times and hopefully I can uh, involve you in conversations with a lot of other artists. I've been putting the, uh, the word out that I've started doing this and I'm getting a lot of really positive fees, feedback from folks that they want to come on and do this. Well, um, hopefully, hopefully they listen to this and they don't turn, tune out, you know, in an early segment. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not here to schlep anything at this point. I'm working on a number of different projects, but they're kind of under the under the hood, um, under the hood. But, but I would say that, uh, you know, uh, other than the rambling conversation, I think there's a lot to unpack in terms of creativity. Um, and even to call it just creativity, I'm not sure that that's no, it's not, correct. Right. I don't know. Well, like, is, like, like the whole point of these podcasts for me at this point is to start out with a concept and then just go on and, and, you know, start the walk. And then, you know, when you get to the end, stop. Um, the, yeah, and, and I, I would, think that's been interesting. What I would leave people with, you know, whoever's listening, um, and, and this is said before, so, you know, none of my ideas are original at this point, as, as is most art derived from something else. Um, if you're not feeling discomfort, then you're not learning. And, and I think mm -hmm. one of the central um, tenets to today, because things are changing so fast, and even for technologists, things are changing fast, and they're only speeding up, and I don't see an end mm -hmm. to that. Um, it's the ability to be able to remain still in that storm, to know yourself, to remain calm and be able to hold and ground yourself to what's real for you, whatever that means. And we can explore that in other podcasts. Your um, truth. Yep. While at the same time, being completely open to all of the discomfort that this brings, because mm -hmm. the discomfort is a wonderful place. Um, crossing the chasm, as I said in business in some books, uh, the idea of being confronted with the unknown it, see that as an opportunity, an opportunity to learn and to contribute and to collaborate rather than something that's just scary and unknown. Learn more about it. Um, the other thing I would say is what I've seen in the last few weeks from a lot of people who wouldn't have deemed themselves technologically adept or technologists or whatever, they've been afraid to do certain things with computers. None of this stuff is beyond any of us. Uh, so we should never look at computing or computer science or programming or technology as being something that's so mystical 
so as to be difficult to understand. It, t- it does take some effort. Don't, don't, don't take mm-hmm. it on. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but it's at the end of the day, it's plumbing and timing. That's really what it's about. It's the flow of information at a certain time. And that's about it. I mean, unless you get into quantum computing and high areas of physics, a lot of this stuff is really just ones and zeros moving through a plumbing system. So anyway, don't look at things as being difficult. Um, they just take time. And so you have to listen to that piece of music 30 times before it starts making some sense to you. And And you have to stand in front of that painting for longer than three seconds. Correct. I just wanted to point out a couple of really wonderful books that have just come out uh, that were sort of informing my thinking on jumping into this conversation with Kieran Foley, musician, composer, entrepreneur, and very, very dear old friend. Two of the books that I'm I'm reading right now that I'm really enjoying, brand new books. Uh, One is by Rafi Perez, uh, he's a wonderful visual artist uh, out of Florida. Uh, his book is called The Rogue's Artist Survival Guide. Uh, you can get it on Kindle. You can get it as a paperback. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold or, or uh, indie uh, bookstores. You know, support your local bookstores. They need your help, folks. And uh, also another book that I'm really enjoying right now is called You Are an Artist, Assignments to Spark Creation. Um, by Sarah Urist Green. Um, she runs an absolutely wonderful program for PBS Digital called The Art Assignment. And uh, it's, boy, it's worth listening to and watching. And the book is worth a read if you're interested in just creative activities and thinking through uh, artwork in general uh, across all of us. She covers everything. It's, it's really quite wonderful. So, uh, uh, again, uh, Rafi Perez, The Rogue Artist Survival Guide, and You Are an Artist, Assignments to Spark Creation. So uh, they have informed a lot of my thinking for today's conversation and will probably continue to do so for the foreseeable future. Uh, again, thanks to Kieran Foley, and thank you for his insight. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. And next time, let's talk a little bit about uh, VR as well and, and uh, virtual environments and emotional in the virtual world, too. <laughs> Ooh, that sounds fun. And we can talk about media art. That would be terrific. All right. I love it. Well, thanks again, everybody, for listening to Just Because Art. And uh, hey, we'd love to hear your suggestions and comments. Anything you got to say, we would love to hear it. And uh, boy, it would help me a lot as I kind of reach out and start doing this. Uh, Again, you can reach us at justbecauseart.com or you can listen to it anywhere where you can find podcasts. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening and checking in with Just Because Art. Again, I'm your host, Everett. I hope that you're as excited as I am about the podcast and encourage you to subscribe, check in with our blog, Facebook, and Instagram feeds. I genuinely hope that the podcast can brighten your day and make you a real fan. You can find the central hub for the show at justbecauseart.com, where you can also reach out to contact me if you have a comment or if you'd like to be on the show.